looking at verses 1 to 14. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. The title of my message this morning is, Don't Pass Up Your Passover. Don't Pass Up Your Passover. I suppose all of us, at some point in our lives, have passed up on some things. Let some things go by. So just, just passed up on some things. And, and looking back at those, uh, some of them you were probably glad you passed up on. Yeah? See some things, you pass up on some things, and you're looking back and you saw what they are, and you think, man, I sure am glad I didn't do that. I sure am glad I didn't get involved with that. I sure am glad I had nothing to do with that. Uh, but there may be some things also that you passed up on that, man, you sure do wish you'd have got a, you sure do wish you'd took part in. Uh, maybe something happened. Maybe uh, you know whatever it is, uh, a get together or 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 a, you know a business deal or whatever it is. Uh, you just look back on it and think, man, I probably would have been better off if I'd have took part in that or or been around that or been with that. Uh, but you know, life's about decisions and life's about choices. Uh, and I want to help you this morning. I want to help you this morning to do one thing, and that one thing is I want to help you this morning to have one less thing in your life that you wish you'd have never passed up on. One more thing in your life that you wish you'd have never passed up on, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Passover. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is our Passover. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, uh, the Bible says that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And so the, my message this morning is, is when, I, when I say don't pass up your Passover, I'm saying I don't want you to pass up Jesus. I don't want you to pass up Jesus. You hear this morning, man, you're in a perfect place to hear the Word of God. You're in a perfect place to, uh, to be able to, you can accept Christ anywhere, but uh, you're in a perfect place this morning where you can get your heart right with God and come, to, and come to Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And so the whole idea of the Sunday morning service is to be evangelistic and to encourage people to come to know Christ and get their hearts right with God. And so when I say don't pass up your Passover, I'm saying don't pass up the Lord Jesus Christ today. Don't let Him pass by you today. Don't, don't pass up and then later on be wishing that you'd have never passed it up. Don't pass him up and then later on be wishing he never would have done so. Uh, the interesting thing about the Passover as we talk about it in Exodus chapter 12, I want you to notice something. The interesting thing about the Passover feast is that the Passover feast that the Jews celebrated uh, it run uh, parallel and with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now you say, well, this all sounds kind of Greek to me. Well, I just want to just kind of let you in on a little bit of it. The Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they overlapped each other. But you see, before the Passover feast could, be, could begin, they had the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread begin. And what that, and what that meant was is that the Jews had to search their homes. They had to search their homes for, for anything uh, that, w that contained leaven in it, anything whatsoever. Now, leaven in the Bible is used as symbolic of sin. They was used as symbolic of sin. You know, the, Jesus talked about three different kinds of, of leaven in the Gospels. He talked about the leaven of Herod, which is worldliness. He talked about the leaven of the Sadducees, which is, uh, which is unbelief. And he talked about the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so there was three different leavens that the Lord Jesus spoke about uh, even in the Gospels. But leaven, in a sense, is really just sin. Just sin. And so before the Passover feast could take place, what the, what the folks had to do is they had to search their homes for any unleavened bread or, or anything in their homes. And so what they would do is they'd get all the bread out, anything that contained leaven, they'd get it out of the home. And they were so careful at this, they were so careful at this, that what they would do is they'd take their lantern, they'd take their light, and they'd walk through every every corner of the house. They'd go through this side of the house, and they'd go through this side of the house, and this side of the house, and they went through the whole house with, with a candle, trying to find even the smallest little crumb that may be leavened bread. Even the, even the smallest little thing, 
to clean the house up. And they'd, then they'd sweep it and get it all fixed up and get it all nice before they partook of the Passover. I well, said, so what's, what's that got to do with anything? Well, doesn't the Bible say that we need to get our hearts right before Him before we take part in the Lord's Supper? It's exactly right. It's exactly right. The Bible says we need to get our hearts right before Him. You see, do you know what that means? That means whenever we start cleaning our house, which is our, our body, when we start cleaning up our spiritual self, what we do is we go around and we examine ourselves and we examine our life and every little thing that we can find, we get rid of it and we sweep this thing up and get it all clean and ready to take part in the Passover. And so that's how the that's how the Lord's Supper and the Passover that they took part in back then, how it was symbolic and kind of run together. And so whatever it is this morning that you may have in your life, whatever it is, hey, I, you know, they, they didn't just get out things that was big. They didn't just say, well, here's a here's a, a loaf of bread that's got leaven in it and they chunked it out and didn't worry about everything else. No, they, they got rid of everything, anything that they could find. And they was real meticulous about this thing. They didn't just uh, they didn't just say, well, you know, we're just going to get rid of the big stuff and we'll just leave the small stuff there. No, they wanted to get everything out. They wanted to get everything out because they wanted to be clean. They wanted they wanted their house to be clean. And so that's how we should be before we take part in the, uh, in the Lord's Supper. We need to make sure that we get everything out of our lives and everything out of our heart, whatever it is, whether it's, uh, it could be unforgiveness you know, for other people, it could be bitterness, it could be hatred, whatever it is, it's sins, whatever it is, leaven, whatever magnitude that it is, whether it's big or whether it's small, before you take part in the Lord's Supper, the Bible says, look, you need to get yourself right. You need to get yourself right. And so in, lot, in lots of aspects, in lots of aspects and in many aspects, Partaking of the Lord's Supper is really a new beginning for yourself. A new beginning for yourself. As we're, we're still in the month of January, you know. And of course, it's never too late to have a new beginning. Uh, but I'm going to show you something out of God's Word that I think you'll find interesting. That God showed His people how we can relate and apply to our Christian lives today. Uh, and I believe that so great should be care, you know, of taking part in the Lord's Supper. Uh, this one we really need to check our lives, examine ourselves. You know, the Bible says, let every man examine himself. And so I believe that's what you need to do this morning before we do that. But let's take a look at Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And I want you to see some things of how we can apply the Passover to our life today. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And so what I want you to see this morning in that is that we see that the Passover was mentioned. All my points are going to be within this morning, so if you like to write your, uh, you like to write your notes down, uh, the Passover is mentioned to the people while they were in affliction and in bondage to Pharaoh. Uh, in the Bible, you know, uh, the Pharaoh is symbolic of Satan. That's who, uh, that's who Pharaoh represents. In the Bible, Pharaoh represents the devil. He represents uh, Satan. So this is a good picture of us when we see ourselves. When we're told the gospel of Christ, you know, we were in affliction and bondage as well. You know, when, when, uh, whenever, the, whenever we was told about Jesus, because Jesus is our Passover, amen, and so whenever we was told about Jesus, where were we? We were in affliction. We were in bondage to Pharaoh. We were in bondage to this world. We were in bondage to the devil himself. And where were the people? They were in Egypt. And what is, what is Egypt a picture of? It's a picture of the world. It's a picture of the world. And Pharaoh is a picture of the devil. It's a type of the devil. And so we see that, that, uh, when, Jesus, that when God brought the Passover to them, when he mentioned the Passover to them, he brought it to them whenever they were in bondage. When they were in bondage to the world and when they were bound by the devil himself, bound to him and, uh, and, and in affliction by him. And so that's a good picture of how it was when it was brought to us because none of us here this morning are what? We weren't righteous by our own accord, you know. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I come to call sinners to repentance. And who's a sinner? All of us. 
There's a sinner. All of us. And so we're all sinners. And so look, we was all this morning sinners. And so when the gospel came to us and Jesus was proclaimed to us, we were all in the same condition, the same uh, spiritual state that these folks right here were in. The gospel was brought to us. Our, the Lord Jesus was brought to us. The Lord Jesus was mentioned to us. And we were bound, bound in the world and, uh, and bound by the devil. And when Jesus came to us, we was all Dying in sin. You understand that? When Jesus came to us, we were all dying in sin. All dying in sin. Yeah. Inherited from our father Adam. Inherited from our father Adam. You know, Job said, In sin did my mother conceive me. In sin did my mother conceive me. So he acknowledged. He acknowledged that he was a born sinner. He acknowledged that he was a born sinner. He said, In sin did my mother conceive me. But we were all dying in sin when the gospel came to us. We had all been bitten. We had all been bitten by the serpent, the devil. We was, uh, and we had the poison of that sin running in our veins. We, had all, we were all lost and without hope. Lost and without hope. And we, like Israel, were unable to free ourselves. You see, Israel was in, a, was in a, a point in their life where they couldn't do nothing about themselves. They couldn't free themselves. They couldn't help themselves in any kind of way. And so were we. So were we. We were just like them. We couldn't do nothing about our sinful condition. We were in bondage and, and we didn't have the strength and we didn't have the power and we didn't have the might to do anything uh, to free ourselves of this sinful condition. And so we see that the people of Israel, the, the gospel, uh, well, the, the Passover was meant to them and, and was brought to them in the condition that they were in. In the condition that they were in. And they didn't have the power or the strength to overcome the devil in their lives and, and we don't either. And we don't either. But however, the Bible does tell us that Moses came to Pharaoh. The Bible tells us that Moses came to Pharaoh and he had a message. He had a message. And the message was from God. He had a message from God. And he says, what? Let my people go. And he says, let my people go. Moses came to the Pharaoh. He came to the devil and he said, look, let me tell you something. I got a message from God. And God said, let my people go. Let my people go. And it was the same day that whenever, whenever my Passover was presented to me, when Jesus Christ was, was presented to me and I was dead and lost in sin and, and bound by the devil and bound in this world and couldn't do nothing to help myself. And whenever the gospel was mentioned to me and it was brought to me and I got saved that night, it was like Jesus came into my life and whenever he got there, he said, let him go. Let him go. You let Brian go. He don't belong to you no more. Yeah. Ain't you glad about that? Ain't you glad? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Don't be afraid to shout and don't be afraid to say, man, yeah, it ain't going to bother me none. Ain't gonna, you might just get me excited and I might start running around down through here. Yeah. Yeah. But when I got saved, when I got saved, it was the same way. The same way. It was like Jesus came into my life and he and he and he's like he just grabbed all the devil and said, You let him go. He don't belong to you no more. He don't belong to you no more. He came into Curtis's life when Curtis got saved and he said, You let him go. He don't belong to you no more. Yeah. When he came to Brother Mike, he said the same thing. He said, You let him go. He don't belong to you no more. And when he came to you, and when he came to you when you got saved, that's exactly what he did. He said, You let him go. You let him go. You let him go. And so you couldn't do nothing about the, the sinful condition that you was in. No. But it was when I got saved. It was like when I got saved, it was like Jesus came and he said, I got a message from my father. You know what he said? He said, You let him go. You let him go. Yeah. Let him go. Let him go. So if you don't know Christ this morning, you can. 
And I want you to understand. I want you to understand that in your sinful lost condition, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And you're just like these people here of Israel, bound by sin. Nothing that you can do. Nothing that you can do. Let my people go. Let my people go. The second point is, the Passover was marked to the people as a new start. The Passover was marked to the people. See, first it was mentioned to them, and then the Passover was marked to the people as a new start or a new beginning in life. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, This month, this month, shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. The first month of the year to you. And you say, well, why is that so significant? Well, it's like God was telling his people, look, we're going to start something new here. We're going to do something different. We're going to, we're going to start over fresh. And so this Passover month is now going to be the beginning for you. It's going to be a new beginning for you. And so when you got saved, amen, when you got saved, what was that? When you got saved, what was it? It was a new beginning, right? Yeah. When your Passover came to you, when Jesus came to you and he, and he saved you, it was a new beginning in your life. It was a new beginning in your life. Do you see how this is correlating the same as the gospel? And how and you know in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yeah, when you got saved, it was a new beginning in your life. A new beginning. And he said, Look, this is going to be the first month of the year for you. You see, they that they, they used it used to not be that way. It used to not be the way. See, they was living and going by their old counter, going by their old way of life and all that. But no, God said, look, when you get saved, when you get saved, it's going to be something different. We're going to start something new here. We're going to start fresh. Yeah. And that's how it is when you get saved. That's how it is when you get saved. Man, God does something in your life. Man, He works in your life. And He says, look, we're going to start new. We're going to start fresh. Start fresh. The Bible says old things are passed away and all things become new. Ain't that what it's when you get saved? The old things are passed away and all things become new? Yeah. And so it's like God was saying to his people back then. Look, we're going to start something new here. We're going to start something new here. So here in Exodus, it was like God was telling his people that there was a new chapter starting in their lives. A new chapter starting in their lives. You know, they was going to leave their old lives behind. They was going to leave their old lives behind. They were going to leave back their sorrows, leave behind their griefs and their and their pain and their struggles. That's going to leave all that behind. And as Christians, we're able to leave those things behind this morning because of our Passover land, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, so when you got saved, you know, it was, it was like, look, we're going to start something new. We're going to put all that stuff behind us. We all that pain, all that grief, all that sin, all that sorrow. We're going to put all that behind us. We're, it's cast into the deepest sea and never be remembered no more as far as east is from the west. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to look at it. We're not going to remember. And we're going to start over fresh. We're going to start right here. And this is going to be a new beginning for you. And that's what God was telling His people. We're going to do something different. We're going to leave all this behind. We're going to leave all this behind. This is going to be a, a new beginning in your life, a, a new chapter in your life. I know lots of people that want that. Lots of people that want a new beginning and a, and a new chapter to, in their life. And that's what God was telling His people here. As we read in verse 3, took a look at verse 3, the Bible says, Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month, Shall you take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And so what we see here in verse 3 is God begins to give the qualifications for this Passover lamb. God begins to tell the people, look, we're going to do something different here. 
And as we start doing something different here, there's going to have to be some qualifications of this Passover lamb that I'm going to tell you about. There's going to be some certain things that, that this Passover lamb is going to have to meet. And so the, the first thing is the Bible says uh, in verse 3, down close to the bottom of the verse 3, the Bible says that the lamb that was taken will be according to the house of their fathers. According to the house of their fathers. And so the sacrificial lamb had to be a lamb that was identified with the flock. Identified with the flock. It would come from their nation. It would come from them. It would come from them. And what was Jesus Christ? What was Jesus Christ? Was He not a Jew among His own people? Wasn't He born a Jew? Yeah, He sure was. He was identified with His own people. Jesus said, I came into my own, but my own received, but His own received Him not. And so Jesus, our Passover lamb, was also identified with His people. He was identified with His flock. And so that was just one of the qualifications that, uh, that, he, that the Passover lamb had to, uh, had to have. There was also, secondly, another uh, qualification the lamb had to have was, the Bible says that was a lamb for every house. A lamb for every house. And so the last part of verse 3 says a lamb for every house. And this shows me that every house and every person had to have a sacrificial lamb. Every house and every person had to have the sacrificial lamb. Nobody was exempt. Nobody was exempt. If you didn't want the judgment of God coming down on you, then every house and every person had to have a sacrificial lamb. Everybody did. Everybody did. And there was no other way. There was no way, no way anything else could be done. And so, you know, that's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me, you know? There had to be a lamb for every house. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. A man cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And so every man, every house, every family needed a lamb. Needed a lamb to avoid the judgment of God. The third thing that we're going to see in this qualification here in verse 3 is the Bible says that the lamb had to be, uh, in verse 5, look at verse 5. The Bible says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it out from the sheep. Or from the goats. He said, you'll take it out from the sheep. And so what the next qualification is the lamb had to be without spot and he had to be without blemish. You know, there could be nothing wrong with a sacrificial lamb. Nothing wrong whatsoever. The lamb had to be perfect. It had to be spotless. He had to be sinless. There could be nothing wrong with the sacrificial lamb. He had to be perfect. You know, in Jesus, our lamb was also perfect. He was perfect. He was perfect. He, he lived a sinless life. You know, he was examined by the Pharisees. He was examined by Herod. He was examined by Pilate. And all of them said, we can find no fault in this man. All of them said that. And Jesus also had a perfect reputation. Not just among those that He knew. But He had a perfect reputation among those that didn't even like Him. Those that didn't even like Him. Even the people that didn't like Him could say, we can find no fault in this man. Even the people that didn't like Him couldn't even find no fault in Him. So he had a perfect reputation. Man, he was our sinless, perfect, unblemished, spotless lamb. And let's take a look at verse 6. The Bible says, And you shall keep it. What's it? The lamb. You shall keep it until the 14th day. Now when did they get this lamb? On the 10th day. Right. And then he says in verse 6, You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And so what they would do is they'd go out and they'd find this lamb. They'd go out and they'd find this lamb. And when they think that they got the right one, when they think they got the right one, what they'd do is they'd take that lamb. And see, the, the, the Bible says it had to be a male of the first year, which means it could be anywhere from eight days old to one year old. Somewhere in between there, a male of the first year, anywhere from eight days to one year. And so what they'd do is they'd bring that lamb in, 
And for four days, they'd keep that lamb in that house. Wow. For four days, they'd bring that lamb in that house. And I'm sure the kids probably played with it, you know. I'm sure the kids... You ain't going to bring a lamb in a little house like that and not, and not have little kids and they ain't going to play with that thing. You ain't going to do that. The adults would play with it. Some of us probably sleep with it, you know, when we went to bed at night. We love animals so much. It'd be our little pet. Yeah, anybody got pets? Like, keep them in the house? Yeah. How many of you got lambs that you keep in your house? Uh, no. Yeah. But yeah, but that's what they did. They'd go out there and they'd find a little lamb and they'd bring it in the house. They'd bring it in the house and they'd keep it in the house for four days. And they'd examine this lamb in their house for four days, make sure there was nothing wrong with it, make sure they didn't have no spots, no blemishes, make sure that this was a, this was a perfect, sacrificial lamb. But see, the sad part is, you read on down, the sad part is, finish, finish the rest of that verse up for me, Mike. What does it say? Uh, verse 6. Uh, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Mm. So we're going to bring this little lamb in the house, and we're going to keep it in the house for four days, and we're going to feed it and play with it and everything else. And then we're going to take that lamb outside on the fourth day and we're going to kill it. Now, I don't care who you are. I know me. Well, I know me. And if I had a, any animal that stayed in my house for four days and I got to play with it and feed it all day long, you know, and mess around with it, you know how hard it would be to take it out there to the chopping block and spill its blood? It's a hard thing. It'd be a hard thing to do. I remember when I was a little kid, I had a little cat. I was about four years old. Three years, no, I think I was about four or five years old. And I had a little kitten. And there was something wrong with it. I didn't know what was wrong with it. But my dad said, he said, I'm going to have to put it down. And he told me, so he went and got that, he went and got that little kitten. I done played with this cat. Done, you know, it was just a little kitten. I done played with it and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and I don't know exactly what was wrong with it. I just know he said there's something wrong with it. So he took it. And he took it outside. I remember he went and got his twenty-two, and he took it outside and he shot it and killed it. And I was inside the house, and I was just a bawling. I was just a crying because I just loved that little kitty. You know, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand exactly what had to be done to it. I didn't understand why it was necessarily happening. All I knew was that I'd been playing with it, and I loved it, and it sure did hurt me to have to see it die. And I imagine that these folks were probably thinking a lot of the same thing. You know, it sure is a shame that I have to kill this lamb. It sure is a shame. But they had to. They had to. Why? Because that was the only way. It was the only way. But the Bible teaches us that, uh, that uh, the only way to, uh, to uh, blot out sin, the only way to cover up sin is through what? The blood? Yeah. It's through the blood. That's exactly right. You know, if, if, if God thought that we can just do this by just getting baptized, you know what, then you know what He'd have done? He'd have just so everybody just, you know, pour some water outside or so, you know, just do something. Throw it on your head. You know, if you can just get baptized and be saved. No, it wasn't like that. And nothing to do with that. It's all about the blood. It's always about the blood. So they'd take that lamb out. And not only that, but how many people took this lamb out there? Everybody. Can you imagine the cry of lambs going throughout the city as everybody was slaying these lambs? Can you imagine how much blood was spilled? It's said that an estimated somewhere between three hundred to 400,000 lambs would have been slain for these people. Had been slain for them. If you look in verse 4, the Bible tells us that, uh, that if the lamb was... Uh, that if the, if the lamb... If the family 
was too little for the lamb, then they could share their lamb with the neighbor. So what does that mean? Well, uh, if there was only, let's say it was just me and my wife, and we wanted to celebrate the Passover, you know, we'd, and, but we had a lamb here, and well, we couldn't eat the whole thing. So what we would do is we'd go to our neighbor, and we'd find a neighbor that could maybe take part in this with us. And, and so we would share the lamb together. Up to ten people, I believe it was, could take part in the same sacrifice. And so it was estimated around three to 400,000 lambs had to be slain. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of pain. And that's a lot of crying. But it was something that had to be done. It was something that had to be done. Let's look at verse 7. The Bible says, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house, wherein they shall eat. So notice, they've taken the blood here. They've taken the blood of the land that they have just slain and now they've, they've, they've gone outside. They've gone outside and they've taken this blood and now they have put it on the, on the side post and they have put it up top, up here. And when I think about that and I see that, it makes me think about, it almost makes me wonder if, if that was a prophetic sign of how our Savior was going to die. On the side post, on the side post, and on, and on the top. It almost makes me wonder if that was just God's way of saying, look, this is how your sacrificial lamb's going to be slain for you one day. Not only that, not only that, something else I think is interesting here is that we see the blood was on the side post of the what? The door. The door. The only way in. What did Jesus say in John 10, verse 9? John 10, verse 9. Jesus said in John 10, verse 9, He said this, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall be saved. And so it was like Jesus was saying, Look, I want you to understand something. I'm your sacrificial lamb. I'm your sacrificial lamb. And this is the blood that I'm going to spill for you. And by me, whoever walks, whoever walks through me, whoever comes through this door, which is me, through my blood, whoever comes through here and resides in this house, and resides in this house, shall be saved. Shall be saved. Shall be saved from what? Well, you know what was going to happen? Well, that night, you know what was going to happen was God said, look, He said, I'm going to come down through there and I'm going to smite the firstborn of every family, of every beast, of everything. I'm going to smite the firstborn. But if you put this blood over the doorway, when I come by, my judgment will pass right over you. Pass right over you. And so they were in there to escape the wrath and judgment of God. How are they going to do that? Because they had done come through the Lamb. Because they had done come through the door. They'd, done, they'd already come through the Lamb. And so now they was going to escape the wrath of God that was going to come upon the city of Egypt, which is the world. Which is the world. And so that's eternal security right there. That's eternal security right there. All throughout the Bible, eternal security is there. And God's saying, look, this is how it's going to happen. There's going to have to be shed blood. And, and you're going to come through me, which is the door. And it's only by coming through me because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Because if you don't have this blood on your doorpost, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You ain't going to have life because it's going to be taken from you. He says, no, it's, all, it's, it's about me. It's coming through me. And so everybody that resided in that house would be safe. Would be safe from the wrath of God. Safe from the wrath of God. Amen. Yeah, so there's lots of things that we can see in the Passover that we can see in the Gospels as well. 
And as I said, some people believe that getting baptized saves a man. Some people just believe that baptized is getting saved. Well, let me tell you something. If God thought that it, that it would do, you know, just to be uh, baptized, you know, that that would be all right. God didn't say, well, just go out there and take a bucket and just, you know, throw some water on the doorpost and when I come by and see you have a wet doorpost, you'll be okay. Man, he didn't say that mess. He said nothing like that. Because it ain't going to do nothing for you. If God thought baptism would save you, he'd never seen his son. Right? If he just thought getting, getting wet would save you, he'd never seen his son to die for you. That's right. That's right. But yet there are people dying and going to hell today that are in church this morning that believe they're okay because they got baptized someday. Because they got baptized one time. It's not going to do you looking good. All you did was you just got wet. You used to wet sinners and that's all you are now. That's all you are. Still lost. But I also want you to notice something else about this. The Bible says that the blood went on the outside of the house. The outside of the house. The blood went on the inside. He didn't say put it on the inside of the door. He said they put it on the outside. Why did they put it on the outside? Well, it's because Jesus ain't supposed to be hid, right? Jesus ain't supposed to be hid from everybody, right? No, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to, by putting the blood on the outside, what does that do? Well, that lets everybody know what, what we believe. That's our profession. That's our profession. Yeah, we get saved and God says, look, you're going to start something new. Now you need to show everybody. You see that? You see that? Put the blood on the, on the outside of the post. Put the blood on the outside. Because Jesus wasn't meant to be hid. He was meant to be seen. Meant to be seen. Meant to be seen. But how often do we really just do the opposite of that? We just keep the blood on the inside so nobody else can really see it. We just keep the blood on the inside because maybe we don't want nobody to know. We just keep the blood on the inside so you know, we don't want nobody else to see. But see, God's people are identifiable about what they showed everybody else. God's people are identifiable about what they show everybody else. And so whenever God comes through that night, what he was going to do is he was going to come through there and he was going to look and he was going to see, yep, there's the blood. There's the blood. I'm going to pass right by. There's the blood. How would he know? Because the blood's on the outside. He could identify them. He could identify them. And so we as Christians in our spiritual lives, man, we are identified by what we show people. What we show people say, he said, look, you need to put, put the blood on the outside, man. Let people see it. Man, let people see it. Man, we're going to start something different here. We're going to start something new. So what I want you to do is I want, you, I want people to be able to see Jesus in you. I want people to be able to, I want people to, be able to see that. I want people when they, when they recognize you, when they, when they see you, they, they acknowledge that there's something about you because you're identified. You're identified by the blood. My third point is the Passover would motivate people. The Passover would motivate people. We're nearly done. Read verse 11. The Bible says, And thus shall you eat with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, you staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Wow. God said, when you eat the Passover, you need to be ready to go. When you eat this Passover, what I want you to do is I want you to have your, your shoes on your feet. I want you to have your, your I want to have your loins girded about. I want you to have your belt on, ready to go. Everything you got, boy, you better be ready to go. Shoes on your feet, staff in your hand. And that's how I want you to take part in this Passover. You say, well, why, why, in the, why in the world would God want His people to take part in the Passover ready to go like that? Because they were leaving. Because they were leaving. They were leaving. Ain't that what the Christian life is? Man, you get saved, what do you do? 
You back up. It's time to head out of here. We're doing, we're doing something different. We're going a different direction. We're going a different direction. Man, we're leaving all this mess behind. Man, all that pain, all that. Man, we're getting out of here. We're, going, we're starting a new life. We're starting a new life. And so whenever we get saved, when we get saved, God says, look, you need to be ready to go. Be ready to go. In the Christian life about, about God uh, asking His people to move forward and, and to go out into all the country and to go out into all the nation and the world and to, and to, uh, to preach the, uh, the gospel to every creature. Ain't that right? Ain't that what we're supposed to do? Yeah, a man gets saved man, he goes out and he does something for God, right? That's what he does. That's what he does. And so look, the Passover is meant to, to motivate people. Meant to motivate. Man, we're going to get out of here. We're going to get out of here. We're going to move on with our life. Don't moving on with your life sound good sometimes? Don't leaving all that mess behind sound good sometimes? Or, or you just want to drag it around with you everywhere you go? You want to be like the people of Israel and just, man, they, they could take... Man, I, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. How much of an insult do you think it would be to God if he said, look, this is what we're going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to do all this. We're going to take part in all that. And then as the people left, they started dragging, uh, they started dragging uh, all their problems around with them everywhere they went. Instead of just leaving it here and leaving all, their, leaving all that stuff behind, if they just drug everything around everywhere they went, just, and like, like, like what he did didn't matter. Like what he did meant nothing. How much of an insult do you think that would be? I think it would be an insult. Considering that he, all he's done for you. And you still just want to drag it around? Man, God says, look, don't you understand? Man, look, it's going to motivate you. Man, we're going we're to start over here. We're going to do something different. We're going to start over. We're going to do something. We're going to leave all this stuff behind. So when you get saved, buddy, you better be ready to go. You better be ready to go because we got some work to do. we got some places to go. we got people to see. And we got work to do. we got work that needs to be done. So yeah, it was to motivate people, motivate people. Because when God saved us, He didn't save us to stay in the same position. When God saved us, did He, did he save you to stay in the same position? Did He save you to, to stay in the same place? No, He didn't do that. When the Passover was brought to them, He didn't say, okay, well, look, everybody just kind of hang out for a little while. Just stay where you're at. No, when the Passover came, when the Passover came, He was changing their position as slaves. He was changing their, their, their place as in the world and in Egypt. You know what He was changing it to? He was changing their position as a slave to the, to the position of a child of God, to a child of the king, from a servant to royalty. He was changing their place. He was changing their place out in the world in Egypt to a new home in heaven. See, God didn't save you for you to stay where you're at. He didn't save you for you to stay in the same position. He didn't save you for you to stay in the same place. Man, when God saved you, He was motivating you to let's go, let's go, let's get out of here. It's going to be something different. We're going to have a, you're going to have a new position now. Now you're my son. Now you're my daughter. You're going to have a new place. Now you got a home in heaven. Hmm. And so when God saved us, when God saved us, He called us to do a, a good many things. A good many things. The fourth point is, the Passover would show God's might among the people. The Passover would show His might among the people. Let's look at verse 12. He said, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Notice he said, I will. He said, I'm going to pass through Egypt. He didn't say I'm going to send one of my, one of my servants down there. He didn't say I was going to send one of my angels down there. He said, I will. I'm going to pass through Egypt. I'm going to... And notice, nobody, there was nothing there in the land of Egypt that was able to escape the judgment of God except those that were under the blood. 
Except those that were under the blood, because he said, I'm going to judge every man. I'm, I'm going to judge the men. I'm going to judge man. I'm going to judge the beast. I'm going to even judge the gods of Egypt. I'm going to judge them all. You know, God can do that. God can do that. Now, don't you think that it is right for, for the Creator to judge His own creation in the way that He sees fit? It's exactly right. It's exactly right. And so we see the sovereignty and the power of God where He says, look, I'm going to come through here and I'm going to do this thing. And it's going to be me that judges this. You know, that's the same thing. You know, the great white throne judgment, that's exactly what's going to happen. Exactly what's going to happen. God's going to, you're going to stand there if you're lost. You're going to stand there before God and all the skeleton in the closet is going to come out and He's going to stand there and He's going to look at you and there's going to be no hope and the wrath of God's going to fall on you and He's going to judge everything. He's going to judge all. Why? Because He is the God of the creation. Because He's the God of the creation. And He will judge. And He will be the judge. And if you die without Christ today, He will be your judge. He will be your judge. And so we see here His might. His might among the people. His strength. His power. His authority. The fifth point is, the Passover would show God's mercy among the people. It would show God's mercy among the people. Let's look at verse 13. And the Bible says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And so when God came to the land of Egypt that night, man, His wrath passed by all the homes that were covered in the blood of the Lamb. And the people of Israel, like you and I, were sinful people. They were sinful people just as we were. They were sinful people just like we were. And they needed the blood just like you and I need it. They needed it just like you and I do. They messed up. They made mistakes, you know. Uh, they done all kinds of things. But God in His mercy gave them an opportunity. God in His mercy gave them an opportunity to put their faith and assurance in the blood. He gave them an opportunity to put their faith and their assurance in the blood of the Lamb. And so God does the same thing for you this morning. He's doing the same thing for you this morning. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you need to understand that God has given you an opportunity this morning to get saved. He's given you an opportunity to get saved. The sixth point, which is the last one, is the Bible says um, in verse 14, This day shall be unto you for a memorial. And so the Passover will be a memorial among God's people. And he says in verse 14, And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Forever. And so when we eat the unleavened bread, when we, so we, we still keep the Passover, we just do it in a different way. We still keep the Passover, we're just doing it in a different way. When we eat the unleavened bread, it represents the, the sinless, perfect body of Christ. The sinless, perfect body of Christ. And so eating the bread is, is, is symbolic of eating the Passover lamb. That's what that is. We're eating the bread. It's symbolic of eating the Passover lamb. We're, just, we're, we're doing the same thing. We're just doing it in a different way. And this is what the Lord Jesus instituted in the Gospels. And, and when we drink of the juice, when we drink of the cup, it represents the, the perfect, sinless blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His suffering and the blood that He shed for us. And so as we prepare ourselves this morning, let's just take a few moments. Let's just take a few moments to give uh, those who are not saved an opportunity to get saved.